Welcome to the podcast Rise and Play. I am Sophie Vaux, your podcast host. I bring together leaders, entrepreneurs, fund makers, investors, and educators who are here to make a change in the industry. For a brighter and healthier future of the games we will make, and how we will make them. We're here to start a conversation because listening and asking the hard questions is sometimes enough to inspire change in us, to take the leap to. Let's begin. Today, I am super delighted to have Georgina with me. So Georgina is the CEO and co-founder of Tailwind, a studio with a mission to create incredibly fun and engaging gaming experiences for the metaverse, starting with Roblox. At Tailwind, she is responsible for the operational running of a business and is typically known as the head of happiness. The health and well-being of the team are always a top priority, and she has her finger constantly on the pulse of ways in which she can innovate best working practices. She has proven passion and success in building diverse, high-functioning, emotionally intelligent teams and operation for the games industry. So hi, Georgina. Really happy to have you here. How are you today? Hey, thank you so much for having me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good, thank you. Good. So let's get started. I have also a question that I'm curious myself about is, how did you start in games? Uh, what was your first interaction with games, you know, for your whole life? Amazing. Yeah. So two parts to that question, really. Uh, my journey into games was actually quite a bit of a crazy story. So I, originally, my background was in costume for TV, theatre and film, which was really great. But it also kind of taught me about my passion for people and kind of really facilitating creative teams. And it wasn't until I met Mike that I realised that the games industry was even a thing that I could work in. I'm not really sure how I thought games were made beforehand, maybe like for elves or something, which is that, yeah, he was working at King and <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. I love the culture. I love how kind of progressive they were uh, the gate the games industry seemed to be with working practices I was coming from like a traditional kind of at that point I was working in retail at that point so it just it just it was a whole new world to me and I was as soon as I saw it I was like I need to get in and my first role I got at Rovio was actually through a Gumtree ad we were buying an Apple TV and just happened to open the door to the executive producer of the London Rovio studio which was really bizarre but great and they were looking for an office manager and I was looking to move into games so I applied and luckily got it and that kind of really taught me that opportunities really do come from anywhere and just talking to people and it was yeah it was great so yeah I got my first job in games at Rovio and there I was kind of tasked with really kind of translating that incredible culture that Rovio had built over in Finland and what that would look like in London and I had a great time there unfortunately we got shut down two months in which is often the way with the games industry but that opened up a great new door for me at Big Pixel they were looking they'd just been acquired by Warner Media and this, uh, Dave the CEO there had been told that he needed a operations manager he didn't know what one was but he needed one so um, I kind of took the ball by the horns and started there and there I kind of grew the studio from five to 35 in a year so it was really crazy growth um, it was really fun it was definitely a roller coaster and I learned a lot but it was there I really kind of sunk my teeth into what culture meant for a team and growing and how we would kind of develop that too. And I, it was just, it was a really great time. We won Best Place to Work Award, which I was really proud of and really kind of solidified the fact that what we were building there was truly special. Unfortunately, at the end of last year, we got shut down. So, um, and that kind of really 
I was at a crossroads there where I was like, okay, what do I do now? But I guess like the second question was first interaction with games. And uh, like my first memory of games was playing Pokemon with my sister. We had like the big old Game Boys with the light attachments so you could play them in the car. <laughs> Otherwise it was like, I don't know, when you're in car rides, it's like looking at the, the street lights and just trying to get a glimpse of the game you were playing. But games have always been, I've always had a, so, a fondness for social games and like the, the connection that you can build while playing them. Like some of the best memories I have was kind of passing the controller in between levels of Spyro or Crash Bandicoot, like with the whole family, like my mum would have a go, my granddad would have a go. And it was really fun. <laughs> and, yeah, really, really bonding experience. Wow. So you do, you did have an interest for games before you got into games and a bit of an opportunity. And I'm quite impressed actually of the background of a, Uh, different jobs you have had well before you created Tailwind so I was working also at Rovio and I remember of the London studio opening and unfortunately as well shutting down but from the office manager then to operation manager and then like now COO at Tailwind how many years passed in between like with all these experiences of you know growing something shutting down growing something you know and then again how many years were that so not a lot actually I think it might have been like four years three and a half years wow but I've always I think because I've had it's been so many like quite a few episodes of like beginning and starting I've always felt like that ending has always been an opportunity to kind of grow and excel and I've always tried to push myself and I never really I know in the industry we sometimes have there's quite a prestige around like length of service which, which, which is great I think that's really great but I think sometimes it can also be a disservice to some people who want to grow in the industry feeling like they need to have a certain level of experience to kind of take that next step so I've always tried to see an end of an episode as an opportunity to kind of really kind of push myself mm-hmm. yeah that's very uh admirative I would say because it's not easy when uh, you have invested yourself personally and then you shut down something so I was wondering also which leads to my other question when, of course, when you had the studio of Rovio shutting down and then also at Big Pixel, where unfortunately you couldn't go through, what was the thinking or feelings that when through you, you got the energy to get back on the horse and do even more and better to the point that you started Tailwind? Can you describe it? Mm, yeah. Of course, yeah. So at Rovio, I was crushed. I didn't, didn't see it coming. Mm. And I think it took me about two months to even kind of start looking again because I, I I'd never experienced it before and it was it was yeah it was incredibly kind of soul destroying is probably a bit excessive but I definitely felt really like I'd had the rug pulled from under my feet mm. I think the wonderful thing about games is because redundancies and studio shutting shutting down does happen quite a lot that the industry really does kind of rally around those studios and that was something that was completely new to me when I got made redundant at Rovio I had we had so many people reach out and like recruiters and also just people of like head heads of studios reaching out and saying like look can we find positions for you and stuff and I think that is I think the industry really supports those studios that are going through those times because I think everyone at some point has has known someone or has gone through a studio shutting down. So they kind of use that experience to support others, which I think is something really wonderful. At the end of Big Pixel, I think my thinking was, I don't really want to, uh, I don't really want to go through that again, at least if it's not my decision or something that I can't control. So I 
that's kind of one of the decisions that helped spurred me into creating mm-hmm. Tailwind. I also had a lot of kind of I think frustrations is the wrong word, but starting to feel quite downtrodden working with quite large corporations where ultimately, even if you have great ideas for and initiatives like your team and like the business, they get watered down by overarching business goals or money or just other things. And I really wanted to take all of my learnings and ideas and values and channel it into something new. And it just so happened that Mike, my co-founder and partner, had just finished a contract super social and they were just entering the roblox space too and it felt like this kind of i don't normally believe in fate but at that point it felt like fate where it's like we've been wanting to start a studio since we met and it felt like the right time to kind of really do that and i don't think there's ever a right time to start a studio or like ever to kind of like start achieving your making steps towards your goals but that felt like well actually we're both we're both out of work we both have we both have the confidence to do it and we found an opportunity so it felt like the stars had aligned to just kind of like take the step and do it that's amazing and i think a would keyword here timing is important because you yeah you ended up in the same timing like we're available and, and starting this and i will have follow-up questions about that but first is about the name how did you come up with the name tailwind names are really hard right i think um <laughs> you can you can spend hours on a name and then even then you're like uh not really happy with it but i <laughs> uh, i think we started with our values and they were like the first thing on day one of tailwind they were the first thing we established when we decided to make the leap and they've really kind of created the backbone for most of our business decisions so like our culture is a culture of kindness and they're built on the values of like positive impact, nurture, sustainability and education. But like the actual name, uh, the anecdote here is that we spent a long afternoon wandering around Greenwich Park, looking at surroundings and trying to take inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I think I probably romanticized that a little bit. What I meant was though we were like we were shouting out random words we could see, like tree, water. And I think based on our values, we kind of, settled on tailwind as a spin of tailwind which is like obviously like the wind that propels you forward and there's like a sustainable power that felt really we, we really settled on that and then we we're like oh actually we can kind of take a little spin and because we're wanting to create really deep narrative games in these in these new spaces tales tailwind and the, the stories that we hope to tell in our games and we uh, it's actually like we've thought of many company names but tailwind is something that i'm really proud of <laughs> It's easy to remember. It's catchy. So I, I guess you succeeded in uh, finding a good name. I think that's the uh, first goal, like uh, at least finding a name. And then the meaning why I'm interested always asking the question is, I like to hear the story of what led to choosing the name because it's really difficult just choosing a name. And I hear very different stories mm-hmm. each time. So that's always interesting. And so you mentioned a bit about also the culture that you wanted to build in this new company you would build together with your partner. I uh, noted a culture of kindness, a positive impact. And if you could elaborate more about yeah, what is the vision and the mission of this company that you built and where did it come from? How did you align uh, with your partner on defining that this is a company we want to build and why uh, this company with these values? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So I think it's like a, a combination of like the past two years has shone a great big beaming spotlight on the world of work. And I think through the adversity of the pandemic and I think we've made like the world has made some huge leaps in making kind of working more accessible and in, in our gaming industry, like it's made our industry more accessible too. And we really wanted Tailwind to be a company that anyone 
can access and work for at the moment we're predominantly UK but we do have plans to hopefully be worldwide and I think that really aligned with kind of the platform that with Roblox and the metaverse for us like gaming both of us gaming's always been a source of connection and I think again if anything the the past two years have taught us is that it's so important to have those channels to connect with friends and family and make and having that accessible to everyone and the metaverse although it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment to us it's the next step in connecting with others through play and experiences and being able to play all of your favorite games instantly with your friends is just incredible and I think that word accessibility is something that really kind of like really drives home kind of the culture we're trying to build so our mission with Roblox and the metaverse is that we think that we're, well, we know we're experiencing a paradigm shift in gaming. I think we're moving away from traditional mobile gaming to platforms that allow you to tra- traverse through games and experiences with your friends seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And we started with Roblox because that's where the players are. I mean, like 200 million monthly active users is incredible. And the amount of content on there is mind blowing. However, the opportunity we spotted is that despite 72% of these players playing on mobile very few of the games actually perform well on mobile on phones and tablets they're predominantly designed for PC so we've kind of gathered our expertise in mobile and MMO and we want to bring this to this platform working alongside content creators and really trying to integrate ourselves with this incredible community to try and to also like level up these developers on the platform too but how we're building our studio as well I think Things like the four-day work week, that was something that when we first started, we both were like five-day work weeks. Just The four-day work week has been something that we've both been following for years and it's something we felt very passionate about. And it's not just a gimmick for us. It's something that we know that what we can give to our team, and it's be- I th- in our opinion, it's better than any other benefit we can offer as a small studio. Being able to have that extra day a week where our team don't just feel like employees they feel more connected to their society to like they can take part in like the local economy their lo- their politics like they just feel more like civilians and citizens in their kind of like in their lives rather than just kind of like working not they're not living to work they're working to live and establishing that has really kind of established us as a company that really cares about its team our team really love the four-day work week and they're healthier they're happier in fact we're having to try and force them to take holidays at this point because they feel so well rested Mm -hmm. that's an amazing initiative i actually wanted to ask more about it that definitely inspires me to think about it that's also i think part of the benefits and the perks of having your own studio that you can define this for yourself and you don't have to justify, you just do it. And I ask here the questions more that probably is in the mind also of the listeners who are hesitating to even uh, implement something like that. So there might be concerns with a framework like this, like would people work less because they are just working four days a week? I'm here playing the devil's advocate, but I know this question exists. Uh, Would they take advantage of the system to work less? would be less effective as a team if we work just four days, you know, so probably this question has been through your mind and what has been the reality, the facts now that we've been doing it for a while and also in your studios that you would like to share with the audience and maybe some challenges that remain that people should pay attention to if they really want to apply a four-day work week uh, framework. Absolutely. And all those questions are questions that came through our mind too. I think 
it's definitely easier for us because we started with a four-day work week and we've been able to build our processes around it. I I know and I can appreciate it'll be a, a completely different kettle of fish if, it, if we were traditionally five days and then went down to four days. I think that being said, though, it's all about setting expectations and being clear with goals um, and just trusting your team. I mean, I think the question of will people take advantage of it? I think that's more of a question you should be asking yourself about whether you trust your team to utilize the time you're giving them. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a reflection on kind of, and I think we've all, we've all felt like that too, like a reflection on, on, on yourself and your leadership rather than the team. And I think if you're building a team based on trust, then your team are going to have that autonomy to complete the tasks that you've given them in the time that you've given them to. We've had to really kind of go really skill up our team in planning for tasks, planning for like, in, in our sprint planning just really kind of getting to the nitty-gritty of like but do you actually think you're going to be able to achieve this in your time without any overtime that's something that we're really passionate about too is making sure that if things aren't completed why they aren't completed and how we can iterate that do better next time because I think we've all fallen into that trap where we've said we promised to do something within a certain amount of time but you're not going to be able to complete it so you do a bit of overtime but you don't necessarily you don't necessarily tell people that so then when you get to like sprint retrospectives, people are assuming that you can do that task in that amount of time. And then they're kind of adding on the time that you didn't weren't open about. So that kind of like spirals. And then if you're mm -hmm. building your team and you could trust them and you're building it on trust and you're giving that autonomy, then I don't think you've got much to worry about whether or not they're going to take advantage because I think, yeah, that's the reflection on the culture you're building. Mm -hmm. And as we talk about culture, is it more you in your role who is following this closely? Like what kind of culture environment is built, is, is happening in your studio? Or is it a shared responsibility with Mike, your partner? Also frameworks like, uh, you know, the work week. Who's owning this? In all honesty, I'm owning it, but it's a I'm kind of the facilitator of it. Um, we've got a leadership team, so there's four of us. So there's myself, Mike, our tech director mm -hmm. and our art director. And although... the Every one of those have got their responsibilities. We all mm -hmm. meet up on a weekly basis to really kind of take a temperature check, but ultimately someone needs to own it. And I think it's, although culture is something that's shared and built collectively, I think having someone own it means that you're going to be able to constantly monitor it and temperature check it. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that, that is my role. And I think it's something that, well, something that I've really enjoyed in previous companies where obviously I haven't founded them, so I haven't been able to have access to lots of different meetings and different processes. It's been kind of hard to really assess how people are, how different meetings are going or how different processes work. Whereas now I kind of have that autonomy and that um, I'm in that position to really kind of change things, which I didn't necessarily have access to. And I, th I think it's just made our processes a lot better because it means that even if I'm just listening in on, on a meeting, for example, something that I wouldn't necessarily have access to if I was working in a larger company, it's really great to have that outside perspective on something. And sometimes I can talk to the person who is managing it and be like, do you think that went as well as you could have? What could change? And it's just constantly reviewing those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And we also try and make sure that we have dedicated kind of quarterly catch-ups with each, every single member of our team member team just to check in on how they're doing and having that kind of that safe space outside of work to talk about culture and getting everyone's point of view too because as I said I think culture isn't something that 
is top down. It's something that you every single employee who comes in adds a little bit to and it's something that needs to be shaped collectively. Yeah, I think you described it very uh, beautifully. It's really hard to grasp. It's very intangible culture, but it's in everything uh, we do. It counts over people, uh, intentional behavior or non-intentional. It's everything. So it's that's why it's so complex and hard to you know steer it. But uh, I think the way you described it as well helps for them to understand why it's such a complex work. And as your role as well, and more like related to you talked about culture, your values. I feel also very strong. A sense of integrity in what you're doing, like, you know, walking the talk, doing what you believe in. What are your guiding principles when you need to make a hard decision? And I believe you may have some as well in your position. So do you have a, an anecdote where you had to make a hard decision recently? And how did you go through this to make this decision? Yeah, um, I think that comes back to our, our guiding principles are definitely our values. And I think I'll I'll hit this point home until everyone gets it. But I think everyone, I think every company needs to have a set of values. And they don't have to be words. They can be statements. They can be things that that ultimately your leadership or whoever's founding your company or leadership team need to believe in so then everyone else can believe in them too. I'm not really sure if I've got a recent anecdote. It's quite hard because we've, the whole um, process has been a bit of a whirlwind. I think what has definitely helped us, because we've been through two fundraising rounds now, which has been a bit crazy in the space of eight months. But from when we first did our angel round, those values really helped us kind of seek out the investors that we wanted to make sure that, that they were aligned with what we were believing in. Because we felt that if we brought on, like it wasn't just the money for us, it was about the ideas, the vision, the experience, and that really kind of that conviction and what we were trying to do. Because I think those values on what you're looking for in investors are way more important than just a check at that point. I think if you're bringing in someone who doesn't, doesn't necessarily believe in where you're going or how you're doing things it's going to be a yeah. constant contention point and it's going to be you're going to face a lot of friction so when we when we realize that investment works both ways it's not just you having to pitch your money you're also kind of like you're kind of like you're selling a bit of your company to that person too and it's really important to make sure that the people that you bring on are right for your company and it's not just a check yeah it's a very important point actually what you're raising what kind of investors you onboard and support you and seeing beyond of what is just money, like values, support, uh, mission alignment, that translate as well when, uh, you know, you hire of as well, how you choose investors in these values. Makes sense. Okay, so let's switch gears a bit also on diversity and inclusion, because I understand as well it's a, a topic so important for you. It is actually also very important in gaming. So uh, my first question is, how are you approaching it as a company or even in uh, your game that you're developing? Great question. Tough question, too. So I think Mike and I both realize that obviously we both have a lot of privilege and we're just very cautious about making sure that both of us are when we're facing situations that we're but the right people to be presenting on any platform and whether or not there's someone in our company who would be best to share their experiences or best to be speaking from that viewpoint that kind of leads us into kind of making sure that we bring in people to guide our decisions for us and that we're not just assuming that this is the right decision and that can be anyone 
that's relevant to what you're trying to solve. So for example, obviously we're hiring at the moment. So making sure that the job descriptions that we put out, like eradicate any kind of unconscious bias. And that's just can be for us, it was just putting them to the people in our network that we knew would be able to give a good kind of perspective on it to make sure that it was attractive to everyone. And we weren't kind of writing it from our own kind of like quite privileged gaze that it was accessible and open and felt attractive to anyone who wanted to come to work with us. And also it's like as a smaller studio too, it's quite hard to really feel like you're doing something meaningful without like the resources of like money or kind of platform. But within kind of the studio, it's small steps like making sure that everyone has their pronouns visible on Slack. I think it's great that Slack's got that um, visibility now and as well as other social media platforms unconscious bias training for our hiring managers and leadership team to make sure that when we are going through recruitment that we're making sure that everyone has access and we're not kind Mm of we're not excluding people just based on the unconscious biases that everyone ultimately has and I think this is one of the things that really we love about the metaverse and Roblox is the fact that you've got the ability to present yourself in any way that you feel comfortable and it really embraces self-expression which is really wonderful so like your avatar can be anything and it really feels like a really inclusive place to be and in building our games and creating our games we really try to make sure that ideas are collectively gathered and driven and that was really important to us from the get-go is that we want it to be I think designed by committee is the wrong word because I think ultimately someone has to be responsible but the ultimate the first initial ideas are gathered by everyone and even me which is great because I love being part of the creative process which I wasn't necessarily involved with before and that our designers know that they're the facilitators of ideas not the creators of ideas and so we kick off most features with a company-wide session brainstorm and it's, it's it's really great because you get like the best ideas from people who don't necessarily have the opportunity to get to have that platform and I think that's where you can really drive diversity and inclusion in your games is by making sure that everyone in your company and even like we open it up to our community on discord too and that's where you can get like the best ideas I think yeah well I can say at least it seems you have a, a quite a conscious approach about it like awareness you start with awareness and then trying right to at least uh, not uh, follow what you know. And what I'm interested in as a follow-up question is about this training of unconscious bias, uh, because this is something I, I believe can help a lot. I'm not very familiar with type of training. So what kind of training are you doing for uh, the hiring managers? Is this, are there some materials online? What have you been using? Yeah, so it's, it's um, definitely outsourcing because I'm no expert, but I, we've used quite a couple of resources. We've also, we're about to bring on a people director um, to work in my team and she's done quite a few training courses on that too. So it's something that we're going to mm-hmm. start rolling out relatively soon. And I think that's another kind of validation piece for us. It's not often that startups start with, for example, an operations manager or a people director, but it's something that if we know that if we're, trying to build a team that's focused on diversity and focused on sustainability and like sustainable growth Mm -hmm. that you need to have those people on board in order to kind of drive that culture forward rather than growing to a certain point and having to retrospectively add it in when sometimes it's it it could be not too late that's probably a bit kind of dramatic but but like sometimes it's already there and you have to fix it and we kind of don't Mm -hmm. want to be in a place where next year 
we have to go, oh, we have to think, oh, well, we should have done this. So we really want to make sure we're building our teams and setting them up for success rather than having to retrospectively kind of add that training in. I can say it's definitely uh, not common to hire in this stage, uh, I would say some position that are dedicated for people and culture. Brave move and also makes a lot of sense based on what you are valuing. Uh, I think it's also very inspirational. You know, you are your actions and you as a company uh, making it a priority to hire someone in this position, a uh, chief people officer, tells the priority where they are for you in the culture and the people and uh, building for the long term. So uh, that's great to hear. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing as well the amazing things that have been created from that because it's not a common way, of course, of building a company and in the order of the staff. And um, then more on the topic as well of you as a woman in an executive role, and uh, you've been dealing with a lot of investors as well, I believe, position. Uh, what has been your experience overall as a woman in games? Has it been like pretty smooth and easy for you or have it been challenging times that you're willing to share and things that became personal experience for you to make a change as well in the industry? Yeah, that's great. I think having started off in costume and then retail, which was heavily dominated by women, it was actually a bit of a culture shock to move into the industry where I felt like mm -hmm. a minority. It was very strange and it was challenging at times, but I think most of the people that I've worked with have been really kind of supportive and it's definitely been challenging when you work in a studio, which maybe like the percentage of women is maybe like 30% and then you're trying to create spaces or you want to go to lunch, for example, with the women in the studio and you have it and you can get, I've experienced backlash before where it's like, well, that's kind of not inclusive if you're excluding these people. And it can be quite exhausting to ex having to explain all the time why these spaces are needed. But I've always tried to use like my position as an office manager and operations manager to organize and prioritize these initiatives because I've always um, appreciated that I've had that kind of position where I could drive these initiatives and really trying to prioritize that. So for example, when I worked at Big Pixel, we had a really great event space. So I'd um, always make sure that I'd reach out to mm -hmm. like women in games or um, we hosted Bayman games and stuff like that, just giving like letting them use our space for free and really providing those platforms and situations where people could then meet talking about fundraising and investors that's actually really um that's been probably the challenging part because it's if I thought that I was like a minority in games I'm definitely a minority when you're talking to investors because there aren't a lot of women I've been in countless calls where I've been the only woman in the call and it can definitely I think it's also very tricky in this era of investing at the moment where everything's done on a video call and it's challenging enough to try and speak when you're not trying to interrupt anyone but it definitely feels like you're having to sometimes having to fight to get your word in edgeways and I've definitely left calls feeling like oh well mm. I didn't get to say anything there because it felt like there wasn't that that space wasn't there for me to kind of interject and maybe that's a confidence thing but yeah it's, it's been tough and I'm not sure what the answer is it would be great to see more women in uh, VCs I think it, we're definitely starting to get there I've, that typical route from I think 
it's down to women not mm-hmm. being able to have access to those leadership positions, then exiting companies and then getting the money to become those kind of roles, right? And it's challenging mm-hmm. to say the least. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Maybe as well, where I'm pretty sure you're not the only one because I have also interviewed many women uh, founders um, also raising money and uh, sharing the same experience where it's another level of feeling uh, the only woman in the room and minority. When these moments happens, what what do you think could help you in this situation to get this level of confidence, of security, to uh, express what you really want, pitch what you want, you know? Do you have any ideas here? I think from our experience, so what actually really helped Mike and, Mike and I, for example, was we stopped being on individual calls and we were in the same call and he's really supportive of it too because he definitely noticed I wasn't being able to kind of get my point across and so we started being on the same screen we started practicing but like like kind of giving each other talking points and if they ask this question then you take that and really kind of preparing but that feels like a kind of just putting a band-aid on it rather than actually a solution it would be great to see more VCs hiring more women in more like actual roles of mm-hmm. power rather than I see you definitely see a lot of VC pages who say they're founders first and they care about diversity but then when you see their <laughs> their list it's just a lot of men so it would be great for VCs to actually practice what they preach and I think that is also difficult for us as people asking for money because at that point you don't really feel like you have the position to be like well you don't have I'm not going to take your money because it doesn't feel like you're kind of practicing what you preach because there's so many of them that are doing that. Um, It would be great to have a bit more kind of autonomy and a bit more kind of power to say no or to see that change. I'm not really sure what the answer is. It's it's just very difficult. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it was really more to hear your thoughts and ideas and uh, also to tinker also over thoughts for the audience listening on what can we do to help each other be more gentle as well with each other being aware that not only just on the woman's side but also uh, men's side when they notice there's only one woman in the room the experience we're going through that adds this layer of insecurity that makes it very uncomfortable and it doesn't help us of course uh, we can do a lot of coaching i've been doing this executive coaching to build your confidence your assertiveness and communication but it's like going force fight to actually solve a problem that is much more systematic where uh, I don't know there could also be a little more empathy on both sides I I agree with you on that and I think that's kind of a lot of feedback we had when we first started pitching was that we're being too humble and Mm -hmm. for me like humility is one of my kind of one of my core values and that felt like what that's that's crazy how can you be too (laughs) humble and I kind of questioned it a few times and another one was like oh we're not ruthless enough and I'm not sure if that's something that for me that was quite conflicting internally because I was like well my core values are about being kind and empathetic and humble and I know that obviously when you're in these calls you do need to sell yourself and we do need to be a bit more confident but like you said maybe actually instead of having to everyone having to change to fit this narrative that the VCs want you to be maybe there could be more room for humility and kindness in the fundraising process because ultimately these the people they're talking to are building their companies 
the way they want to and maybe they don't want to be maybe their values aren't ruthless and yeah but that leads then to the conclusion again of diversity of VCs you know where you have different ways of assessing potential like founder or person to invest in and uh, not looking at uh, the same criteria through the same lens right so what you're valuing let's say tomorrow there's a a VC member who values a lot humility and empathy would value that and see this in the other founder. And then let's invest in this team and this person because we value this and this is what we're looking for. But if there's too much of a one type of thinking or criteria, then of course, there's a certain norming expectation of how we should behave in this discussion. But yeah, it will take some time. More women, uh, first starting more women as founders, succeeding, making an exit. And then uh, hopefully as well in a position where they can also participate more in VC and invest. And that's also my goal personally. So I'd like also to be able to help more at this level at some point. Absolutely. That's definitely my goal too. And I think it's wonderful that I'm seeing a lot more kind of accessible routes to investing like syndicates and just making Mm -hmm. it more lowering the barrier to entry to investing is definitely, I think, a route in which we can go so we can bring more diverse thinking into where we're investing. Mm -hmm, Totally. And I have follow-up questions as well of your um, own situation as uh, co-founders, because you mentioned as well, like you are a co-founder with Mike, your partner in life and in business. And that is also uncommon. I mean, it happens, but also I'm curious, like on a day-to-day life, this also raises the question of how much clarity of different roles and responsibility boundaries probably must actually put more challenges there. So I was curious to hear more from you, you know, the experience, how has been the work, how are you managing this work together? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't apprehensive about going into it, about how it would affect our relationship. And I think we were also concerned about how it may be perceived to kind of potential employees and investors and whether or not that would be seen as like a negative thing. But we have worked together before. I think that was one thing that gave us like the confidence to do it because at Big Pixel, Mike was a contract game designer and we'd worked together for about a year and a half, I think it was. And a lot of people didn't even realize we were in a relationship which was great because I think it's creating that distinction between who we are in work and who we are outside of work has really kind of helped us one kind of set that confidence with our team that we're not a couple in work we are two founders two professionals who are who happen to be together but also outside of it it means that our life isn't completely tailwind and we are able to actually switch off I actually see now us being together in our relationship as a major win during kind of this pretty turbulent and often tough time of the business. Like we have that trust in each other and which is a great kind of foundation and we're unafraid to have those really frank and difficult discussions with each other that can often be harder to have with someone who you haven't either worked with for a long time or that you're two new co-founders. So it's that trust that has really kind of helped us And ultimately, we know that even if we do have a very kind of frank conversation, that at the end of the day, it comes from a place of support and wanting to better each other. For us to really kind of set ourselves up for success, it was like establishing that hierarchy and responsibilities from the get-go. And also having one-to-ones, that was something that feels really strange to be like, okay, let's have a one-to-one. But it honestly really helps to be able to set like our professional goals and having that person there to really support those professional goals too. 
Wow. But that's very impressive because, I mean, working already like as co-founders and partners is difficult. I mean, closely with people where there are different things at stake. And uh, on top of that, the layer of the relationship. Mm -hmm. But what you describe is very mature discipline and it's, you know, a good role model for other couples out there who are working and building a business together. So that's very sweet. Thanks for sharing. And about success in life, because you are building a studio company that has a big mission. I mean, it's not a small thing, you know, I think it's great to also have a big ambition to create something that matters in this world. So uh, as you have this professionally, and I believe as well, personal drive, what is your definition of success in life? So my definition of success in life are three things, uh, happiness, stability, and safety. And I've always been quite risk averse mm -hmm. as, as a human being. So when I told like my family and friends I was starting a studio, they all thought <laughs> I'd gone crazy. They were like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but as I said before, like it felt like the right decision and having been made like redundant twice, it felt like what's, what's the worst that can happen? At least then I'll have more control over it. But I think as a business owner and as someone who is now responsible for a lot of people's livelihoods, being able to offer them the stability and safety of hopefully a, a long and prosperous career at Tailwind, that'll be the greatest success that I could hope for. And when you say stability, are you meaning like financially, emotionally? I think both. I think they both come hand in hand. I don't think everyone wants a lot of money, but having, the, I think, stability in being able to pay like li live your life to the means that you want to and being able to support that. But also emotionally, I mean, that's kind of something that we've tried to accommodate with, with most of our staff. And that's kind of what is part of the reason what drove the four day work week and being able to make sure that because we do work remotely, it's often hard mm -hmm. to break that distinction between work and life when your work is in your life the whole time. Your workstation is literally in some people's bedrooms sometimes. Um, so being able to have create that time to break that distinction and to support people through that emotionally. Mm -hmm. Okay, great, thanks. So now we're reaching also the end of the conversation today. And I always have these three questions that I ask all my guests towards a bright future. So my first question is, what are the next big steps for your studio and how can we help? Yeah, great question. Big steps for us is growth. We've just closed for our round, which is great. And now we're growing, but it's, I think, Although it's, it's important to us, it's also something that we don't have all the answers to. So growing the studio thoughtfully and sustainably whilst you've got overarching pressures and deadlines, that's something that <laughs> if anyone has any experience with, I'd love to pick your brains about. And this one's probably a bit more specific and I don't know if anyone would be able to help, but we're also looking for Roblox native talent, which is really hard. But if any, if there happens to be a Roblox developer that's listening to this podcast, then, or someone who, yeah, I'd love to pick your brains and hopefully hire you. <laughs> Amazing. I'd love to hear more as well about uh, Roblox developers. I'm pretty sure it will grow eventually. I hope so. Yeah, there's, there's loads out there and they're all really great. We, we've actually got a Roblox developer in the team and he's been developing for on the platform for five years. He just turned 18 this year and I know and he it's crazy and he's like hit the ground running. It's incredible how like this this generation who are about to enter the workspace, it's that's something that we're really excited about because with this new angle that we're taking, we are going to be welcoming this new kind of generation and it's really interesting to see and explore how these different working kind of uh, patterns evolve from a new generation is kind of kind of 
they're quite thoughtful and like they know what they want and it's really great to be able to work alongside them yeah, it's amazing and that's part also of uh, diversity of your team to have really young people with this fresh uh, you know like ideas and complete different generation from even ours uh, i'd love to have younger people i just don't know where to find them but that's amazing if you manage to attract uh, young talents and my second question who was your role model in the industry or personally and yeah name that person that inspired you heavily in your journey yeah i, I love this question i thought about this one long and hard and Whilst there are like so, there are so many inspirational people out there in our industry. I think the one person who's inspired me most throughout like my life is my nan, <laughs> and she's the strongest woman I know, and is really like the backbone of our family. And she's gone through adversity and a lot of troubles in her life, and it's incredible how she takes everything in her stride and is still able to kind of support us all. And she's always on the end of the phone when I need to talk and or cry or seek advice and she's really kind of the person who is my role model and who when if I'm facing a troubled situation I'm like oh what would my nan do I should ask that pay rise or oh she, yeah she'd just take that because she knows what she's worth and it's yeah she's really great <laughs> yeah and probably inspire you a lot to become the woman you are today as it sounds absolutely And last question, if you had one thing you wish to change right now in the industry, what would it be? Yeah, I would like to see more companies, more startups build, start off with visions and values rather than built around a core game idea. Um, because I just think that like it's pretty, we all know that as working in games that your first game is like, it's not always likely to succeed, but I think building business based on values and visions are, are just, are just setting yourself up for success like we mentioned we're on the mm -hmm. cusp of welcoming a new generation into the workforce and their key drivers and requirements are totally different to what the current workforce is looking for and they what they look for it goes way deeper than a cool game idea and I think companies now need to actively show that they care and are willing to create businesses that provide platforms for inclusivity and diversity to thrive because that's what this new generation they're driving they're they're like the key drivers for change and we need to either catch up or get left behind mm -hmm, totally all right then that was it for today it was a great pleasure to talk to you i'm so excited about what you're building uh so so happy to hear ex exactly companies uh being built based on values and also walking the talk like You are really living your values and that's a great model for other companies out there. So it was a great pleasure to talk to you today, Gina. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Good luck with the game. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast. Spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership. Until the next time, 